Welcome back. This is Richard Sachs. This is Lost Arts Radio. It's nice to see you again. And in the middle of all the things that are going on in the world right now, and when we're actually recording, this is right a few days before the election of our very first celebrated communist Chinese president, and it's a really big deal. And by the time you hear this, it'll probably already be after that. So we wanted to talk about a bunch of things. And one of the things the new... uh Apparently, president-elect, although there are various theories on that, apparently the president-elect is promising, is doing a much better job on forcing everyone to wear face masks all the time, leading to probably getting us comfortable to taking as many forced vaccines as are required by our non-governmental authorities that actually now are above the government, apparently, and they just make their own laws. They're called policies. We learned about that in the university, that you have this thing called policy, and it can be above the law. It doesn't need Congress because it's for your own good. So obviously you don't need uh, due process or anything like that. So what's being promised is uh, kind of an Orwellian situation. And one way to look at it is in terms of technocracy. And so we were thinking of who would be great to talk about current developments and what's ahead and how to make it better than our friend Patrick Wood has been here before. And Patrick is the um, creator of a site called Technocracy News Trend, News and Trends at the address technocracy.news and the author of at least four books that I can think of, latest being Technocracy, The Hard Road to World Order, a uh, really great book worth reading. All those can be found at technocracy.news. I don't think they've been censored off Amazon yet. And uh, sorry, I'm (laughs) I'm sure Amazon's not listening to any of this. And um, also, Patrick is the founder of Citizens for Free Speech. And you may see the connection between wearing a breathing obstruction device on your face and being able to do special privileges like talking, for example. And so Citizens for Free Speech is working on ways to reverse the trend toward a new dark age, which I think would be really good to not have happen. So we're going to talk about that for the brief time that we've got. And welcome, Patrick, and thanks for being here. I greatly appreciate it. I love these type of discussions because most Americans just simply don't get to hear what we're going to say. I know, and hopefully they will. That We're still on the air at the moment, and everybody needs to share this through every available channel that still exists we're appearing on a lot of new non-censoring platforms now but we're trying to stay on as many big ones as we can at the same time so what i'd like to do in our in keeping with our theme of bringing in people who have no idea what we're talking about and not just speaking to the choir um a little bit about your background and what's this technocracy thing is that like a machine or something or 
you know, what's it about and how does it relate to what's happening? And then yeah. we'll get into current situations. Yeah, right. Well, <clears throat> I've been studying and writing about globalization for over 40 years. Um, I started my writing career, research career with Professor Anthony Sutton, who is uh, the late <laughs> Professor Anthony Sutton right now. And um, <clears throat> we wrote back in the uh, late 1970s about the Trilateral Commission and uh, their proposed new international economic order. And that's what they called it back then. It was all over the literature. Of course, when we reported on what they had written in their own literature, they themselves immediately branded us as being conspiracy theorists. I said, all we're saying is we're just writing what you wrote, and so you don't like that when it's exposed to the light of day. But uh, Professor Sutton was able to get all the documents that they wrote in the early days, all the journals and papers and so on, and it was a, it was a gold mine. We just reported on that. The new international economic order that was um, talked about back in those days are basically what we have today. This is what you could look at the Great Reset, for instance, that the World Economic Forum is proposing now. This is essentially what was envisioned back in 1973. It was a turnover of the existing economic system into a new technocratic economic system. I'll explain that in a minute. But um, this plan has not changed. And all, all over these years, We've had some subtle differences, maybe, that have kind of emerged and shift a little left and shift a little right. But it's, um, it's all been the same system. Where this all started was this whole idea of technocracy it was back in the 1930s. And <clears throat> it was proposed by a group of uh, engineers and scientists who happened to be at Columbia University at the time. And this is in the middle of the Great Depression, and they were convinced that capitalism was dead. They believed that. It wasn't true, but they believed it. So they felt they had some kind of a mandate to create from scratch a new economic model that they would run, and they exclusively would run, that would solve all of mankind's problems. And it was a very much a utopia type of a system. But no politicians were necessary. They were going to simply engineer society from a scientific point of view. They were going to use what they called the science of social engineering to engineer the people in that economic system and society. And they felt that since all people's needs would be met, that they would be all very happy and get along with each other. And there would be no conflicts of any kind, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, no utopia has ever worked, and this one didn't work either. It was re rejected by the middle 40s. But it came back to life with the formation of the Trilateral Commission in 1973. And this is a historical fact that's missed just about by everybody. But it's easily documented, I have to say. When, when Zbigniew Brzezinski, the co-founder of the commission with David Rockefeller, wrote his book, Between Two Ages, America's Role in uh, the Technotronic Era. Um, the Technotronic Era he envisioned was essentially technocracy. And Brzezinski happened to be a political science professor at the time at Columbia University. Guess what? Same place where technocracy was originally invented. And so 
when they said they were going to create a new e- international economic order, this is what they had in mind. It was doing away ultimately with capitalism and free enterprise altogether and creating a new resource-based economic system, to think sustainable development here if you want, mm-hmm. that would be controlled and operated by them. In other words, they would control the resources and they would tell people what they're allowed to make and what they're allowed to consume out of that resource pool. This ultimately gave way to the creation, thanks to the United Nations, of Agenda 21 in 1992. Uh, that went on to be updated to be called Agenda 2030 a few years ago. And um, this whole idea of sustainable development today, which you hear everywhere, sustainable this, sustainable that, we have to control the resources and yada, yada. All of this is an expression of historic technocracy. It's exactly what they said they wanted to do back in the 1930s. And here we are today as resources are being uh, gobbled up by the oligarchic firms of the world um, and by land trusts, um, whether it be through NGOs or through the United Nations directly with heritage zones that they've declared all over the world. They're taking resources of the world offline to people, and people can't touch those things. Once they're put under the umbrella, they can't get at them anymore. Private property has always been on the chopping block with technocracy. They believe nobody should have private property. Well, America was built on private property. That's why our economic system is great. But uh, they believe... Let me just interject a question, Patrick. When yes. you, you've used the word they a lot mm-hmm. as, as the people that are going to be running this system. Yes. And if I understand you right... That's a group of academics primarily that have come up with this idea of the system. And, and how would we decide or they decide who gets to be in that group of bosses? Well, they and they alone apparently decide that, you know, who's going to be in charge. Um, back in the 30s, they actually created an organizational chart that looks very much just like a, a modern org chart that a Mm -hmm. corporation might have with the president, vice presidents, and directors, and so on, supervisors. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is not a political structure. It's just an organization chart. They they proposed there there would be a national director, uh, that there would be directors underneath that person, and then other layers underneath that, and that there would be no need for Congress. There would be no need for a political system in a traditional sense. In fact, because it's a company, not a government, right? Basically, that's 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 about right. We could say it's a company, but it's you know it's probably a group of companies. Actually, in a sense that the oligarchs that that are pushing for this now, you can look at the World Economic Forum. Virtually anybody, any company that belongs to the World Economic Forum is part of this group. They're calling for the Great Reset right now. Yeah, and a great rebuilding. Now, you know, most people have no idea what that means. They haven't heard the term. It's not on the mainstream news, to my knowledge. It's not. It's on their website, however. You can go to weforum.org. Mm-hmm. You can just read it in plain black and white English. Well, like any language you want. They have all the languages translated. You can just go there and read what they say. 
And you don't need anybody to tell you what they said. It's very clear. Um, they're intending to flip the economic system of the planet away from free market economics and into the system of, that should be called technocracy. It often isn't these days, but it should be called technocracy. Mm-hmm. Sustainable development and technocracy are, are functionally equivalent. Okay. Okay. All right. So the idea is you get rid of competition, you get rid of dissent, you get rid of free speech, you get rid of unauthorized ideas, and the result is world peace and happiness. Well, that's the promise, of course. Yeah. You know, like the, <laughs> the United Nations says their first sustainable development goal that they created at 2030 Agenda Meeting is to eliminate poverty everywhere. Yes. Well, who's for people being poor? I'm not. I, I don't, I, you know, I feel bad for somebody that's living on the street and gets $2 a day or whatever. I mean, that's, that's sure. really bad. But we've had the poor with us for a very long time. And the United Nations says, we're going to fix that. We're going to eliminate poverty everywhere by our, of course, by our economic system they call sustainable development. Mm-hmm. But in fact, ever since they started this, global poverty has gone up, not down. And that's not a coincidence. It's the policies that they're putting in place impoverish people instead of empowering them. And more critics, more analysts ought to take a close look at what comes out of their mouth and what comes out of actual practice. But the policies that they say are going to save the world are actually harming the world. How Talk about irony. So, and this is just right down the line. Poverty is one example, but it's all down the line of their sustainable development goals. They want education, you know, for all. They want job equal job opportunities for jobs with dignity for everyone right well okay so what's happened to unemployment during this great reset time it's gone through the roof there are hundreds and hundreds of millions of people who have been dislodged from their career centered work just basically thrown out on the street so are we assuming that they're not smart enough to realize that that's the outcome or that they do realize it and there's another purpose involved? The ones that lost their jobs have no clue what happened to them. They just know they lost their jobs. They weren't paying attention in the first place, I'm sure. Right, but I mean the ones running that system that created that situation. Uh, you know, that's a good question. And my, my feeling is that, and I, I've seen this in writing too, my conclusion and kind of my, you know, my gut reaction to the whole thing is their attitude, that is the mind of a technocrat, their attitude is you have to break a few eggs to get the mm-hmm. omelet. So that, they're, they're making a really good omelet that requires breaking a lot of eggs. <laughs> they're, they're breaking a lot of eggs. That's right. Yeah. So, and I would imagine the under since it's a big organization, if you say the analogy is a corporation, a global control corporation, which is actually a network of accepted corporations within its structure, that there is are different levels within that corporation, and yeah. that the implementing large number of people near the bottom of that power structure have one understanding. And probably if they're like 
the people that work for the UN, they think that they're saving the world. Mm -hmm. But the ones way up higher are realizing the bigger picture that they're actually not saving the world. They're doing something else. I'm sure that there is a group at the top that, that get that picture. But I'm also sure that there's a lot of people down the line that get the picture, too, because they're driven as much by greed as by anything. Mm-hmm. And when the promise of uh, the Green New Deal comes along, for instance, you have to understand a little bit how a corporate, the head of a corporate uh, entity would, would think. They're out to make a profit. That's their, you know, they, they're, many of them are already billionaires and mm-hmm. uh, you know, they get giant bonuses for performance, et cetera. They think in terms of profit. Right. When you have unleashed on the world stage an investment uh, pool, this is to do the economic flip, uh-huh. an investment pool of, say, 30 to $50 trillion dollars, you have what amounts to, and I used, when I was young, I used to go to the fisheries up in Northern California where they raised the little trout, you know. Right, really right, cool. right. And they have these pools of different sized trout, and you could buy some food, some trout food, and put it in your hand, and you could throw it out in the water at feeding time. Yeah. And the little fish would be like a pack of piranhas. It's woof, and they come into this, you know, they call it chumming when they yeah. all eat the food. And this is how I picture these corporate entities. They're looking at this 30 to $50 trillion pool of money that is promised to restructure the world. And they have the technology to restructure the world. And in their little pea brain, they're thinking, I want a piece of that pie. That's all it takes for those people to get involved. They don't care. They don't care about any other aspect of it. You know, public safety or societal benefit. You know, they just go for the money. Go for the money. Maybe similar. This is the way it's been forever, right? Like the mentality of young trout, except that may actually be a an insult to the trout, but something like that. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. right. The trout, I know. The trout is <laughs> just looking for food. The trout artists. Like the rest of us before we're done, we're going to be doing the chumming when they throw a little bit of right. food down to us from the top. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. So they don't really think deeply enough to realize wait a minute, this 50 trillion or whatever amount you just said, that's fiat money. What's really going on economically is something different, you know, because if there's no value behind it, the money is destined to become worthless. Yes. They are converting their money as you, as, as we move along into actual physical resources. The ones who know what's going on. Yeah. The ones who know what's going on and even the companies, uh, you know, downline from them that are participating Mm -hmm. for, one piece of this pie or another, <clears throat> they're, they're accumulating resources to themselves, uh, whether that be real estate and or mining or oil or right. you know, ocean. solid. Yeah, could, stuff like that. But right. it also could be intellectual property rights as well. That's property. You see, that's real property. So for the good of humanity, the technocracy also ends up owning everything. That's right. 
Exactly. That's why you can't have private property because they need it to keep it safe. Well, they need it. That's right. They need to have it in the global common trust. Yeah. And the idea, by the way, the structural idea is just that, a global common trust. You'll find that language used at the United Nations. Of course, they don't say specifically, well, who are the trustees actually going to be? Because yeah. having a trustee or a trust means that it implies that, that there's not a direct owner. But they don't actually need, many of them in the end don't really need direct ownership. All they need is access to the resources. Right. You and I, if we had $100 million between us, you and I will never be able to do anything with those resources, no matter how much we beg. But... If you are BP or Shell or General Electric or Siemens or whatever, say, hey, mm-hmm. I need to have some rare earth material, mining, whatever. I need, oh, yeah, sure. Here, we'll give you a permit for that. Go out and do it. You can, you can kind of liken that to how oil leases are let out, for instance, in Alaska or down in, um, um, you know, down around Louisiana area out in mm-hmm. the Gulf. Mm-hmm. You apply to the government who, technically owns and controls those properties, you pay them a huge fee and they let you go out and drill a, a gas well. Right, right. And you get the profit off the gas well. You make tons of money. And uh, that's kind of the way the UN would, would envision this global common trust. Somebody will say, well, it's all protected here, but you know, you can get permits to get in and get the stuff you want. Right. Well, I know on the World Economic Forum, what I heard so far about it is that if you want special privileged luxuries like um, a house or clothes or things like that, you won't need a car because you'll be taken to any approved place you want to go. But um, if you want things like right now people own, you rent them, right? Uh And, And you the requirement is you have to be happy no matter what you do. So there won't be any more stress or unhappiness in the world. The World Economic Forum actually floated a video of a young woman who testified about how she owned nothing and was very happy with her life that she owned nothing. And she, everything was rented. Her clothes were rented. Her cooking utensils were rented. Her place that she lived in was rented. Her transportation when she needed it was rented. She owned nothing. And it envisioned a world where if you had a recipe that you wanted to cook that required, say, a Dutch oven, you didn't have one. Right. You could put that into your recipe and it would be delivered by drone to your door and then you'd send it back the next morning when you're done cooking. Right. Right. Oh, man. Now, just just think about this just for a minute. This is the utopian vision yeah. that they offer. Oh, it's going to be great. You're going to love it. You won't have to worry about fixing anything, responsibility, right. nothing. Right. You don't need to own anything. But here's the question. Who does own all that stuff? Somebody has to own it, right? If they're going to deliver a Dutch oven to your door or a evening gown or whatever somebody owns that property right and they're forcing you to rent it and they are benefiting making money profit off of you nobody's going to rent you anything if they can't make any money off of you that that'd be crazy for them so 
this whole argument falls apart with that simple question. Well, so who does own all those things that everybody's going to rent? So I assume from what you said, the global trust would own it. And the controllers of that trust don't need to own the trust because they can have whatever they want. That's right. And when if you have to rent everything, that means you have to pay rent. And that means you need some form of money. And I'm assuming that would be similar to a form of universal basic income, which the people who don't understand it think that's great. When what they overlook is that universal basic income is conditional. Yes. On obedience. Yes, that's exactly right. It's exactly right. Universal basic income is making a huge splash right now. It's another marker of technocracy. They they promoted that back in the 30s, exactly yeah. like that. And it's an insane idea, but I'll tell you where it's headed. <clears throat> you, what we're talking about describing, plus universal basic income on top of it, plus no ownership of anything. Right. I would challenge anybody listening to this and anybody else asked, I mean, asked the question to somebody else. Tell me how this is any different from, even in our country, our historic slavery. Tell me how it's different from slavery. The slaves back in that darker part of our history where slavery was a thing and where people were slaves, most were black, not all. There were some other people, some whites that were slaves too. But when slave, when you were a slave on a, on a farm, a ranch, a plantation, you didn't own anything. Oh, everything was supplied to you. You need need some cooking utensils. Well, here's a few pots and pans and, you know, knives and forks or whatever. Um, You didn't have any income because you were a slave, but you got an allowance. So you could go to the store and buy some, maybe some cloth to make a dress or something. So that's exactly like universal basic income. Tell me how this, what we're talking about, is different than slavery, except now... They're looking at slavery for the whole world. And here people in our country are whining and complaining about, oh, slavery was so bad back in those days. I'm not saying it's good, but, right. you know, slavery is so bad and we have to have reparations and it's all about black versus white, white versus black or whatever. And yet, in right under our noses, the whole world is being shuttled into a system of slavery that would make that slavery look like chub change. Right. And the new slavery will be much more socially just and inclusive because everybody can be a slave. Yes. And you could be excluded for virtually no reason at all, like people actually as happening to people today, even Ron Paul recently, or uh, Rand Paul recently got dropped by somebody he says, why are yeah. you dropping me? I'm a pacifist for Pete's sake. <laughs> right. Never, everybody knows it. Yeah, he says, I don't a, understand why they dropped me. That was an me. interesting experience for him because he had had, you know, no apparent uh, empathy for the people that were being censored before. Yeah. And would just drop them too, not yeah. go on their shows. So. Yeah. Yeah. so people are starting to realize it's for everybody. Well, yeah. everybody except the rulers. <clears throat> so there'd be two worlds, really one for right. the slaves and one for the masters. That's right. This would be a good time for people to go listen to the trilogy 
uh, movie series called The Hunger Games. There's three there's or four of, of those, I guess, right? Yeah, there's a lot of commonality there, I think, with our current situation. I, whoever wrote that uh, series probably was kind of thinking, looking into the future as a futurist, figuring this is where it's headed. Right. But you could also go back and read Brave New World. Same thing, Aldous Huxley, 1932, same year that uh, technocracy was invented at uh, Columbia. <clears throat> Brave New World pictured the same thing. No property was owned by anybody. Everything was held in common. You could have access to anything you needed, but everything was held in common. Uh, there was no morality whatsoever. That was evil. Nobody had children. That was done in a test tube in an incubation place. Mm-hmm. And you were expected to have sex with anybody and everybody for free. You know, just free love, whatever. But don't right. worry about it. Children are over here. If you have a, if you get pregnant, that was a horrible shame. Uh, you, you could be ostracized out of the community and sent to the reservation or whatever. Right. And, you know, all of these looks forward basically are kind of pictured in what we're talking about right now. Predictive programming type things, yes. I guess. Yes. Okay, so your background was getting immersed in studying and understanding that whole picture and the vision of the future that that was building toward. That's exactly uh, right. And honestly, I had no idea in 1977 when I first met Anthony Sutton and we started talking about the Trilateral Commission. Mm -hmm. I had no idea where that would take me later in life. And I didn't discover historic technocracy until about 12 years ago. And I did a lot of study, a lot of original research on it at that point. And I realized almost instantly that what they were talking about back in 1970, in the early 70s, was exactly technocracy. And, and it, they just kind of changed some of the names and, you know, the, for right. marketing purposes, like they did with Agenda 21. Agenda 21 is actually the term that the United Nations used. Mm-hmm. You say Agenda 21 to anybody in America, especially like a city councilman or somebody, they instantly call you a conspiracy theorist. That's instantly. right. They don't even realize they've been programmed. But, Here's the th- list of things that you're not allowed to think about. Yep. Here's what you call them so that you can drop it and go back well, to what you're supposed to do. <laughs> a video surfaced of a, of a futurist slash Agenda 21 uh, sustainable development person back in the early 1990s, after 1992. And they were talking about how to introduce sustainable development, Agenda 21, into America. Mm. They'd already discovered through focus groups that the term Agenda 21 was not going to fly in America. It just smacked of control, and nobody wanted, you know, everybody reacted. A, a video actually surfaced of one of these leaders back then saying, we're going to, ch- because of this, we're going to change the name from Agenda 21 in America. We're going to call it Smart Growth. Wow. That's where smart came from. Was it, an, was it standing for individual things for each letter at that time? Or no. Or was it just, just no, smart? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, because that, nobody is against smart anything, right? Everyone wants to be smart. Everyone wants to be. What, do you want a dumb car? You want, yeah. a, you want a dumb phone? <laughs> <laughs> you want a dumb house? It's yeah. like, it's brilliant. They, they sense, were brilliant. Yeah. Sick, but it's brilliant. 
So we have smart growth, and everybody knows smart growth. You go to any city council and say, hey, tell me about what's our city doing relative, what are we doing about smart growth? You'll have an hour conversation right on the spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you won't be a conspiracy theorist. If no, you no not at all. You, you can talk smart growth all you want. But they've been conditioned. You bring up Agenda 21. Oh, my gosh, you're, you're, you're a conspiracy theorist. But same, smart growth is the same thing. But you can talk about that. It uh, makes you wonder what to do with society when people, you know, you, you were comparing people to the mentality of the young trout. And... I was saying, well, it might be an insult to the trout, but I, I think that it is because even the trout would see through what's happening right now. You know, it would be a threat to their food because when the money becomes worthless, they would start being uh, dispensed with. Yes. Or cooked or something. I mean, I'll, I'll point out that just recently, this last week, there was a um, there was an announcement in Chicago, it was a press release that was put out by ADM, Archer Daniels Middleton, the big food company. They're one of the big four yeah. food giants in the world, ADM. ADM owns everything vertical in the agricultural operation in America. They own farms, land directly. They have processing plants. They have butcher plants. They own seed companies. You name it. Everything uh, and, and that has to do with agriculture, they're in it. Yeah. And so they're very much connected to our food supply right now. They're about 25% of our food supply is dependent on ADM. ADM has just, they're in process right now of building a plant in Chicago that will be the largest, well, no, it's in Illinois, not Chicago, it's outside. Mm-hmm. But it'll be the largest insect production protein production facility in the world by an order of magnitude in other words they are going all in on growing insects and they're going to grow in particular uh, mealworms from a certain fly larva mm-hmm. the eggs hatch because you know they become a little mealworm and they're going to feed them some stuff and here's what they found it doesn't take food of any quality because there's these little mealworms or scavengers. They'll eat anything. It doesn't take much quality of food to give to these things to keep them alive and let them grow. Yeah. And the protein that they develop is very uh, is, was a very high percentage of the the, the mass of the mealworm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they've discovered. I mean, I, you, I I came from an agricultural background. I can see these people's minds there as they sit here and look at this. They see a, like let's say they see a a steer over here, and they see a bin of mealworms over here. Okay, yeah, here's a yeah. thousand pounds of beef protein X whatever eighteen percent protein, and here's a big vat of a thousand pounds of mealworms, and it's sixty percent protein. Uh-huh. Ooh, now they start figuring out what's the cost per pound of protein. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, the mealworm wins. <clears throat> so I know in their mind they're thinking, look, we can charge them the same price for the protein that we yeah. charge for the cattle. But the know, profit the is a lot higher. Because your table. Right. 
And we can cut our costs down to the bone by growing protein from insects and then making it into everything, you name it. And the you name it is already here, too. I saw a picture, I think it was in the U.K. supermarket, where they're, um, they're promoting insect burgers, well, plus it's already been proven to be healthful on small lizards. So they're doing really well on a 100% insect diet. Yeah. So, you know, this has been the, the United Nations has been pushing ever since Agenda 21 was born. It's in the documents back there. It's in the original biodiversity book that they created uh-huh. that ranching and red meat production and pork and everything else is absolutely out because they say it's not sustainable you just can't do it anymore so they've been pressing the agricultural and the ranching industry especially out of existence if they could and they have been promoting this insect protein business for at least 25 30 years openly mm-hmm. not new so the united nations is behind it now they've got adm involved thinking that's a great idea we can make a lot of protein for for the cheap Right. And sell it for a nice fat profit, and plus we own it, and it's intellectual property. We can we can claim because they'll ge- they'll genetically modify the flies. You know they will. Oh yeah, so that's going to be their proprietary intellectual property. Nobody can touch yeah. it. They can make this stuff forever. So the people who are hoping for organic mealworms are not going to be satisfied. <laughs> there won't be any such thing. <laughs> Right, right. Be an oxymoron. So, so one of the big helping factors for this new industry is you just create food shortages by shutting down all the businesses. You got it. Right. Yeah. People will be really interested in any kind of food. They'll be. Yep. They'll be interested. One. One of my readers. <laughs> I hate to even mention this article, but one of my readers responded to that article on insect burgers that I posted on Technocracy News. And they said, sounds like Soylent Green to me. <laughs> yeah. I watched well, I, that movie. If, if your listeners don't know what I'm talking about, go search for Soylent, S-O-Y-L-E-N-T, yeah. Green, and go see the movie. It's still, it's on. I think it's on YouTube and a couple of other places. Yeah, Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston movie, great, great movie, great acting. So they didn't show what led up to the Soylent Green and the mealworms were one step on the way, I guess. Probably, yeah. Interesting. So what, you know, looking at what's going on in the world right now, one of the aspects of it is the transition into a technocracy with smart everything and totally controlled society. Yes. And the shortages of things leading to public receptivity to a great reset. Because yes. they don't want to starve to death, and they figure it couldn't be worse. Like, right. especially since the bosses and the media are all saying it's going to be utopia. Yes. And in a way, it's a sophisticated technological form of communism. Right. Right. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it's it's collectivism. No, well, that's not even the right word. It's not really collectivism either. Um, there's no appreciation in technocracy for. For um, for any kind of what I, want, I don't know what word to use here exactly, 
there's no acknowledgement of human superiority over plants and animals. Mm-hmm. And so humans are viewed on the same scale as plants and animals. They're just something to be managed on the surface of the planet. Right. Anything goes. Well, what techniques do you use to manage plants and animals? Well, you can do the same thing to humans. This is an anti-human agenda. You could say communism was anti-human in a sense a lot of people died, but even in communism, it was men ruling over men. Here you have the algorithm ruling over men. It's different. Robots in charge, basically. Well, yeah, the robots and the AI are in charge of managing, managing society. And AI is just a robot without a synthetic body. That's exactly right. And, and in some cases, they do have a synthetic body, but yeah. Yeah, like the enforcer so, algorithms. Th- there have been books written on the anti-human nature of scientism and technocracy and transhumanism, too, for that matter. That's part of the mix here. That's right, right. World Economic Forum writes about transhumanism all the time now. Um. And by the way, you know, it's interesting, just a side, sidebar. Yeah. People like the World Economic Forum, the giant companies, the IBMs of the world. They were the ones that used to call Tony Sutton and I conspiracy theorists. Right. They were the ones that promoted that theory. They developed and promoted that theory that we were, we were the crazy ones and that they were always in the moderate middle. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you weren't in the middle, you weren't part of them. You were on yeah. the far right or the far left, but you weren't you were in the middle, so you were bad. Yeah. Now it's interesting that it's come full circle. Now they are openly promoting, openly promoting everything that we said for the last 40 years based on their own literature and stuff, mm-hmm. where they called us conspiracy theorists. They're now openly saying the very same thing. Yeah, that is interesting. That's been a, a complete transition. Yes, complete and, transition. Now, Tony Sutton, when he was working on all this, he was focused on education and history, I think, primarily, right? He was a professor of economics. Okay. He taught at UCLA uh, for some years, and then he went to Stanford University, where he was a research fellow at the Hoover Institution for War, Peace, mm-hmm. and Revolution. How's that for irony? Yeah, and he worked there for many years. That's where he did his famous work on the uh, t- transfer of technology from the from the west to the east. And his interest was primarily economics, and uh, that's why he started writing about the Trilateral Commission because it was them that said they wanted to do a new international economic order. Well, what would an economist think about that? Well, what the heck is that? You know, I can can you tell me more? He started looking into it and said, hey, wait a minute. This this is not economics like anything I ever heard. <laughs> and so I guess he dug they, into yeah. it, started writing about it, and it got him kicked out of Stanford altogether. I can imagine because yeah, they, they booted they're it. Actually, you know. What they seem to be doing behind all the complex terminology is detaching the uh, vehicle of money from anything tangible and giving themselves complete control over it. Because then instead of a symbol of uh, physical wealth, it's actually a, a mechanism to rebuild society. Exactly. Exactly. 
You know, this control over energy business <clears throat> has been going on for a long time. We know that, for instance, the Rockefeller dynasty controlled all of big oil back in the 1900s, early 1900s especially. They've been involved with this all along. And, of course, David Rockefeller, who co-founded the Trilateral Commission, he was a big energy guy, too. He's an heir to all that. And today we see control of energy through killing off all the fossil fuels in the world and bringing on alternative energy that can be part of the smart grid. There we go, right, smart right, again. Right. Uh, controlling energy. But some people will remember, maybe a little bit closer to my generation, will remember that in the middle 1970s, there was an energy crisis. Yeah, I remember it. The price of gas, gasoline, went from like 25 cents to two bucks a gallon. And there were, I remember lines around blocks to get in a single gas station because there was such a shortage. And they came up with all the propaganda of, you know, why there was a shortage. Well, we're going to go bomb Saudi Arabia or something. I mean, they had all these other propaganda things that were coming into play. It was so phony that Tony Sutton wrote a book about it, about how it was contrived, total propaganda program. And there really, in fact, was so much energy, they just didn't know what to do with it. But they... They ratcheted the system so that they could use it to declare an energy shortage and try to take action. So was, was the short was the contrived shortage to prove the theory behind peak oil that we were running out of energy? So we absolutely. Needed, absolutely. So for more control, basically, yeah, to solve it. For more, for more control, and at the same time, they began to promote global. Cooling as being the scourge of humanity, and we're all going to die. Yeah, that was going to freeze everybody. (laughs) And everybody's going to freeze to death. Yeah, it was Well, that didn't fly either. So by the end of the 1970s, at least the early 80s, their whole thing fell apart. The, the, The energy plus climate. They tried to use those two things to get their agenda established right away. They couldn't do it. They it must have been so stressful for those guys at the time. Oh, I do. You know? Yeah, I know. So, okay, so, so one of the things that helped them get back and feel good about what they're doing and that they could still succeed was what if we create, instead of global cooling, what if we create a terrifying pandemic? Yes. Yes. Right? That could really do it. A pandemic would do it. And the thing about global warming it ran out of steam when poor little greta thunberg couldn't get a rise out of the united nations with her horrible speech where she said shame on you shame on you you people i want your your house is on fire i want you to that but you know whatever get get with the emergency they ran out of steam and i think my feeling again just looking at the mindset of these people my my feeling is somebody got the idea we're beating a dead horse here. We can't, we're not making any progress. We're, we're pull, we pulled out all the stops. We got the youth movement throughout the world. We got Greta going crazy everywhere. Yeah. We couldn't push the needle anymore towards sustainable development. The problem they had, Richard, was that 
There were no dead bodies anywhere. I know. This Al Gore so kept saying, we're all going to die and the seeds are going to rise, but there was no dead bodies anywhere to demonstrate that what they said was true. Yeah, that's the, that's so really when they jump ship, jump horse yeah. to the pandemic in early last year, it was the same people, the same universities, the same rotten computer models, the same type of corrupted data that they had used to try to make global warming the big, you know, alarming thing in the world. The whole crowd leaped onto the pandemic and said, we're all going to die because our computer models say blah, 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 blah. Right. And this is where they change horses, where people were dying. Of course, people die every day. Yeah, but and now we know they could, point, they could point to that refrigerator truck down somewhere and say, it's full of bodies, you know. How uh-huh. gross, man. We're, we're really losing people all over the place. Yeah. Well. No, no yeah. one ever died before. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, it's, um, and, and in fact, some people have deeper perception into the real death toll because I know Joe Biden was on uh, video letting everybody know that 200 million Americans have died from it so far. And that was a while ago. So, I mean, it's almost everybody by now. I know. I don't know about you and I. Maybe we're, maybe the movie. The Walking Dead has some stuff to it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's possible. Well, it's amazing that we're both alive for this interview. Yep. So, um, yeah, and what they're promising is, you know, just so that the people who put all of that energy and sincere effort into the panic of global warming, uh, if you change it to climate change so that it's okay if it stays the same, gets warmer or gets cooler, it's still an emergency. The new administration apparently coming in, if nothing miraculous happens before, is claiming that they will implement the uh, policies to save us from climate change. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, at the same time that everyone is being happy with the glo- yes. uh, global reset. Yes, and it's it's interesting. I I started writing almost immediately when the pandemic came out about how global warming has simply just jumped to a new horse. Same because I saw all the same people involved. I knew that was what was mm-hmm. going on. But now it's interesting that even the World Economic Forum, which is promoting its great reset, they themselves are writing openly now that uh, that the pandemic was good in order to get action on climate change. Yeah. So they've connected the two together themselves that they're, they're basically one in the same emergency to them. Right. To stimulate action to bring about this new sustainable development economic system, which is technocracy. They, right. They've always offered only one solution. There was never a plan B. It doesn't say, hey, can we vote on this? Well, here's one thing, here's another thing, and let's vote and see which way we're going to go down this path here. They never did that. Yeah. They always said there's one solution, we have it, and all roads lead to that. And that's sustainable development, the Great Reset, technocracy, call it which smart yeah, growth, yeah. call it what you want. That's the only solution they ever offered, and that's the only one they ever will offer. Right. And now that it's been proven that um, sound money economics is a myth and that there's no limit to the amount of money, they can put a program for $80 trillion together to retrofit every building in the country within the next 
few years, something like that. And that will go right along with everybody being happy in yeah. utopia. Yeah. So um, I'm watching the clock because I don't want to keep you too late. We could go on and have fun for a long time with this, and maybe we'll get to do some future installments. But I want to at least say something about the response to that in terms of uh, Citizens for Free Speech, how that ties into the pandemic that is supposed to bring in total technocracy and more, and what what that's all about right now, what you're doing at the moment. People need to see the pandemic as an attack on the First Amendment in its entirety. There's a reason for that, but let's just talk about what that is. Wearing a face mask prevents free speech. It breaks it down completely. You can't have free speech when you're muzzled. It's hard to understand mask. people, yeah. That's right. You can't understand people, and you can't, yeah, you can't talk. People don't mm-hmm. understand you. Right. When you're socially distancing, <clears throat> you're not assembling. You can't assemble. And how many localities in America have said, well, you can't have more than 10 people, you know, in one place, or uh, you can't have more than 50 people in your church or whatever. Well, churches are under under attack as well. Then you have all the massive censorship that's going on against free speech, for one, directly, and then also freedom of the press, where people are being disappeared, like whole companies like Parler had just been buried six feet under. Right. And this is an attack on on all five of the elements of the First Amendment, the purpose being, this is a revolution. I said this is a coup d'etat from day one of this pandemic, but they have pulled the trigger now. They said, we're going for it. We're this, this is our time in the sun. Mm-hmm. Every revolution in modern history has always started out by taking over the radio stations, the newspapers, and the TV stations, every Mm -hmm. single one. It's happened in South America, too, but it happened in Germany. It happened in in Russia and any other revolution, Marxist revolution, especially around the world, Mozambique, uh, Rhodesia. I mean, go back to all those. The first thing they did, they came in and they took over all the media so that people could not communicate. Once people could not communicate, they were completely neutered. They could do nothing. They were helpless at the hands of the oppressors that were going to take over and then do things their way. This is what's happening with the First Amendment right now, which guarantees that we have the ability to communicate with each other. And the First Amendment is all about communication. Everything in the First all five points are about communication. You say, well, how's religion got to do with communication? Excuse me, but when people go to church, they go to pray, that's communication with God. Right. I mean, that's right. pretty simple. Right. Well, what about, you know, wearing a face mask? How does that violate my First Amendment rights? Basically, it just nullifies them. It just, you, you cannot be understood if yeah. you're wearing a face mask. And I think it's important to put in here that those are unalienable rights. Those are unalienable that, rights. That means that even if the pandemic were real... They can't be taken away anyway. That's right. And the Department of Justice issued an interesting brief on that, too. It says exactly that. That just because there's a pandemic does not mean that the First Amendment is nullified. Right. So here's the serious point. And this is what Citizens for Free Speech is all about, to try and defend and preserve the First Amendment in America, our right to communicate. 
Yeah. If we lose the First Amendment, Richard, we have lost everything right, right now. It, it, everything will be gone. And we're hanging by a thread as we watch the president of the United States being banned for life from Twitter. Right. As we watch a huge company with 20 million social media users, Parler, being murdered in plain yeah. daylight by companies who clearly just want to get rid of the competition. Mm -hmm. And the First Amendment is just about done, even as we're making this video right now. Right, right. This is so serious, Richard. I just can't tell you how serious it is. I, I hate yeah. to be a, a, a pessimist or a, you know bring bad news or whatever. Citizens for Free Speech, as far as I can tell, is the only organization, national organization in America that is dedicated specifically to defending and preserving and helping people exercise their First Amendment rights, not Second Amendment. I'm, yeah. I'm all with that, but... <laughs> it's a different project. That's a different project, and, and the framers of the Constitution understood that if communication was denied to the people... Uh -huh. The Second Amendment comes into play. Right, but they you're supposed to that. exhaust the first one first. They understood that. Yeah. The talk is better than killing people, and I agree with that. Yeah, definitely. But so, everybody's been attacking the First Amendment now, and we saw it. We just saw it shift into high gear when this, this great panic of 2020 hit. Yeah. And, and it's, it's still really, way right now. It's really tricky when... Um, the the free press is an idea that's protected as well, and when the f so-called free press gets taken over and is controlled by a cartel whose purpose is to get rid of real awareness of what's going on and substitute a synthetic system of beliefs to help them get their agenda done, what I guess the obvious question is, what's the solution? Yeah. This, the only solution, the only solution we have right now, our last line of defense is our local communities. Mm -hmm. You can think global, you can think national all you want, but you better act local. You just right. stop acting nationally. Act local at this point. Okay, so CFFS, what does it want to do locally? Well, we want to get people involved in their local civic structure, whatever, however that might be, a uh, city council, the various boards, the school boards, water boards, fire boards. Uh, involved with the media locally, whatever media representatives there might be, and other civic leaders and stuff. This woke culture, you see, that's producing all this bad stuff up at the top. Mm -hmm. This is this is impregnated in, into every community in America, right? And there are people in every community that are so stuck on this stuff that they would be happy to run up to you in a store if you didn't have a mask on mm -hmm. and chew you out and just rat on you. How dare you, you selfish person, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And these there's people like this in every community. We've all probably run into that. They're a product of the fake media, right? That's the purpose of taking over media. Yeah, exactly. And, and education, of course. So yes. cool. Cool. And yes. entertainment. Yes, Right. So, so I think one of the things that, that makes people hesitate, and I wish we had another few hours right now. I, if you have time to come back for a sequel in the near future I, before we're banned, I think that would be really good. But what I wanted to say 
just in in summary in in brief here is that people are hesitating to get into government if they're good people because the, some of them are starting to realize it's controlled by a system that's basically a, a super mafia where the people that pose a threat to the cartel are intimidated, blackmailed, or killed. And they think that that doesn't sound very much fun, you know, and it's permeated down to the local level to some extent. So that you'd have to go in knowing that and and with an idea of how you're going to deal with it. That's right. I'll tell you, every community needs to have citizen leaders rise up who are really concerned about the citizens of that community. Right. And get a seat at the table. Our director of training, by the way, Mary Baker, uh, wrote the book uh, called Citizen Ninja Stand Up to Power. She's doing the training for us, uh, designing the training as citizens for free speech. She says this, if you don't have a seat at the table, you are what's on the menu. That's a great way to put it. So since we're basically at the end of the time, let's summarize what projects Citizens for Free Speech has going and how people can get involved, what sites they need to be aware of, and how to stay in communication. That's, that's exactly, and thank you for that. Citizensforfreespeech.org. Spelled is, out, right? All spelled out. All spelled out, no dashes or anything. Just citizens for citizensforfreespeech.org. Dot .org. Okay. <clears throat> what you'll find there is a volunteer program. Not everybody volunteers, but you can. We produce weekly or biweekly press releases. We're writing blog articles that are getting posted in all kinds of places around the country. We're doing tons of interviews on media interviews. We have a publicist that's working very hard to, to help us get a platform and, and get word out to more citizens. We need to involve more citizens. We're providing training right now on, re, on reteaching people how to communicate uh, with family, even with family members that have been, dis, you know, pushed away for, you know, all this panic stuff, mm-hmm. and also how to operate within their civic arena in in, in their own local communities and stuff. Does that These include running for office? That's right, including running for office. Communication really is where it's at right now, this, and this is what the First Amendment is all about. So we help, we help people build a defense for themselves as well against wearing a face mask. We've had a lot of success at that. And <clears throat> we also have had a lot of success about educating people on the, the negative health impacts of uh, <laughs> the face mask, uh, wearing face mask. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, we've, um, uh, we've touched a lot of people so far and, and helped them work through issues in their local communities. You know, how do I do this? How do I do that? People are scared to death all over the country right now. Just scared to death. They're so frustrated. So how are you you helping these people? Do you have a staff to answer phones and stuff like that? Or how are you doing? We do answer some phones, but we're doing most of our work via webinars, kind of like what we're doing right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you can reach any number of people at the same time. Virtually so. And we're committed to doing that. We've got a, uh, a, a webinar platform. It's not doesn't happen to be Zoom, but we have a webinar platform that has a thousand seats available okay. to any okay. one function, and we're filling them up. We're if we have to do multiple segments on something, we do multiple segments. We don't care. Okay, and you have those coming up right now. We have them all the time. 
Okay. We have monthly volunteer meetings. Uh, we have out of our total membership now, uh, we're well over 25,000 nationwide. Wow. We have almost 30, uh, I want almost 4,000 of those have volunteered to be active in their local community for one program or another. Like they might decide to, <clears throat> you know, take some of our, uh, some of our protest signs, if you will, out on the street mm-hmm. to have peaceable assemblies on the street to educate people as they drive by in their cars on the face mask issue and on the free speech issue. Right. And just tell people, think, think, use your brain and think face mask equals no free speech. So, yeah. so, so what's, what's the uh, response of CFFS to this promised mandate at a national level that nobody escapes face masks? We have the fight of the century ahead of us. Yeah. All I can say. Yeah. We do. So everybody uh, should be staying in touch and be part of it. And our members know that. Well, we're not walking away. Uh, I, I'll tell you that for sure. We're not walking away any more than gun owners of America would walk away on attacks of uh, the Second Amendment right. or the National Rifle Association on attacks on the Second Amendment. We're not walking away from this fight, I'll tell you. This fight is more important than that fight. Yeah, and, and this one also with the mask issue, it leads to the forced vaccine issue. It because does. In addition to stopping you from speaking, you have to wear the sign of obedience. Yes, Right, and that says I'm all ready. about control. It's not I'm about ready for the shot. Right, yeah. it's all about control. Yeah, and a lot of people are already opting out to take the shot, but it's clear that the intent of of all the people that are working this whole health uh, tyranny issue, yeah, that the original goal was to get that vaccine needle into your arm, just to to provide a conduit for them to come out with multiple vaccines over a period of time yeah, and they, fill you full of stuff that you may or may not. Well, the, the new one is going to permanently corrupt human DNA, and I don't see a way to detox from it. it but they also, they also realize that, wow, we can get one time a shot into 7.8 billion people. Why in the world would we only do this once? Yes. We should do it every couple of weeks. That's right. This is the opening salvo. And some yeah. uh, more than one person has suggested now, and this, this is in, backed up by writing at the World Economic Forum, that the purpose of these vaccines and using M- messenger RNA and then ultimately even direct DNA mm-hmm. uh, modification um, is to give a new operating system to the human body. Yeah. Yeah, it's a brand new operating system. You have to think in terms of Bill Gates and Windows, uh, (laughs) whatever, um, at Microsoft. But they think in terms like they look at the human body now as something that can be uh, uh, digitally controlled. Yeah. So thinking in terms of an operating system for our body, well, look at all the different systems of your body. You've got your immune system, you've got your lymphatic system, and, you know, on down the line, all these different systems. That's fertile ground for a technocrat. That's right. It's like, yeah, system. I specialize in systems. Let's go for it. Isn't it interesting how we've all been predictively programmed to think that this is going to be great? It it brings to mind the old movie that you might have seen called Tron, where they invented some little tiny thing where you could go inside the body and actually fix everything. It was going to be fantastic. And uh, 
And we learned from Dustin Hoffman in Outbreak that vaccines are actually the way to save the world. Right. And, and it was very well done. Anyway, we, we need to do more. And any way that we can support what you're doing, I really want to do that in whatever time we've got. So hopefully we'll, we'll talk. Well, send, send people to Citizens for Free Speech first. I, that, that, they need to get involved there okay. and, and stand with us. If, if millions of Americans don't rise up against this stuff, we're going to lose the battle. And that's just going to be the end of America, period. Yeah. And it's going to have implications for everybody else as well. Forever. Yeah. Forever, yeah. I have to say. Because these yeah, I agree. Bats aren't going to give up. They're well on the way to making sure there are no actual elections in the future. Yes. So even if it appears that there are, they'll all be pre-programmed. That's right. So, so okay, yeah. well, we got to do some more and we'll support you. So hold on and we'll say goodbye in the break here. Okay, you guys, that was Patrick Wood, and I think he's doing great work. His books are really worth reading, and I've enjoyed them. And his project right now is uh, very worthwhile, should be supported by everybody. And remember, he said that it costs nothing to join uh, Citizens for Free Speech. And the site is easy to remember. It's citizensforfreespeech.org. And uh, the new site that they've got is Technocracy. Dot news also free really good service and um, good friend of ours for a long time so I guess um, what I would say is I agree with him and as long as we've got whatever time we've got between now and when these things get uh, either completed and we can't talk anymore or they get thrown out which is hopefully the outcome that will happen uh, we should use our time well, and I, I would say that the first priority there is taking care of ourselves in terms of uh, getting our health back to the greatest degree that we can, learning what real health and disease, how that works, and how you can recover as much of your health as possible based on your current conditions and how long you've been doing certain things, and you know, stop eating junk food, start exercising. Uh, get, get sleep, get sunlight, get all the things that you need, uh, change your attitude so that you're not running around in a bad mood all the time because that has a definite effect on your physical health. <clears throat> and the reason that your physical health is important is, of course, for anything that you want to do physically in the world, you need your body. But the other thing is it affects your emotional state, it affects your clarity of of thought, how well you can think, it affects your internal work of consciousness which is really where the most powerful part is located and the physical uh stepping stones to being able to do that internal work really help and make a huge difference that was the reason that we started planetary healing club uh, if you want to find out about that check it out at planetaryhealingclub.com if you have questions about it feel free to write to us at the contact forms on uh, lostartsradio.com and lostartsresearchinstitute.org um, support us if you can we don't have commercials so if you think it's worthwhile keeping us on the air and getting on new platforms and hopefully doing the other projects that we have on hold waiting for funding then you can support us at uh, the donate buttons on lostartsradio.com and lostartsresearchinstitute.org as well as uh, subscribestar.com slash lostartsradio. Uh, remember, too, this is our Sunday show, and we have a Saturday 
afternoon show U.S. time, 4.30 p.m. and 7.30 p.m. Uh, Eastern, 4.30 is Pacific time. And that's usually related to current events. And then a half hour after that show ends, which is an hour long, then we meet live, interactive, <clears throat> in-person online for Planetary Healing Club. That's uh, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern every week on Saturdays. And if it's something that you want to explore and make use of, we're basically it, it's a way that I share what I've been doing for the last 50-some years in terms of health research and experimental investigations and things like that. Uh, forbidden health information that you're not supposed to know about that you can use if you want to. And it's interactive. We have live chat. I usually talk for the first part, share something that I want to want you to know about, and then we just sit around and uh, exchange Q&A, ideas, comments, whatever you want to do for the next whatever time we've got left. Um, so you might enjoy that. You might really benefit from it. It's intended to change lives. There are small dues for it, but that's one of the only ways we keep going. So uh, that's why it's not free, just in case you were wondering. But it's really cheap. Anybody can afford it. And um, I'll say what I can on the public venues, too. Uh, the free ones, and we're getting onto other platforms. We've been on Brighton for quite a while, B-R-I-G-H-T-E-O-N dot com slash uh, channel, I think it is, slash Lost Arts Radio. And that's evolved to the point where you can subscribe for free and get notified of future videos that are posted. And we're coming out on BitChute and uh, Brand New Tube and other places like that. And we'll look into Rumble because... Pat Wood, Patrick Wood was just talking about that, and I don't know much about it yet. But there's a response to the censorship to get all these great new platforms out there, and I think it's really good. Um, I do occasional private consulting with individuals, either general people like us or people in positions of power that want to talk about how they can make a change from inside the system uh, I'll meet with you about that if you're interested because I'm really talking to, I, I'm not segregating the people in the power structure and saying they're all bad. They're victims too, just like we're victims of that structure. And they think that they're doing something good. They've been uh, indoctrinated through an educational system. They don't realize is uh, highly corrupted and it is possible to wake up from that and do good from inside the position that you've got in corporations or government agencies from local to federal to international levels. You've got a big responsibility if you're in a power position like that. And if you're working uh, and your job is to censor shows like this and to, you know, spy on everybody, you can do good from within those positions as well. And I'd be happy to talk with you about how, because all humans are, actually on the same side we all have the same requirements and everybody including the people who are doing it by criminal activity are trying to do what they think is going to result in them feeling good and if you do it by intentionally destroying cultures and civilization and you know going out enjoying hurting people then it comes back on you and this is something that if you're in one of those positions you would be really wise to consider 
that it doesn't lead to good results for you, even though it looks like it will. Uh, what we do to other people, we do to ourselves, literally. And what we do for other people, we do for ourselves, too, which is the way to turn it around and find out that you've got massive power. Um, you're not the helpless, unintelligent, you know, dependent being that we're told that we are. We're told that because it's the truth is the total opposite. And you've got abilities that you forgot that if we bring those back, uh, they can really help us turn the whole thing around and make things even better than they are negative right now. And that's a wide open possibility. So anyway, um, I think we're about out of time. Support us if you can. Lostartsradio.com. Use the donate button. And there's free news articles and all kinds of videos, educational information. This is all supposed to be a public service. Our our nonprofit is Lost Arts Research Institute, and the website for that is .org. There's a donate button there, too, and uh, some interesting information that you might want to take a look at. We're still on the major video platforms, as well as Brideon and BitChute and the others that I mentioned. And to stay in touch with that, in case that status changes, uh, stay connected at lostartsradio.com and you won't lose touch with us. And I think that's about it. So thank you to Patrick Wood. That was great uh, presentation on his part. I think everybody would enjoy staying in touch with his new site, uh, technocracy.news, and the main message being appreciate yourself, take care of yourself. Um, you're an incredible asset for the future of the world, and respect it, take good care of it, and it will affect everybody else, even if you never say a word. It's so powerful. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Have a good week. Stay in touch. Email if you want, richard at lostartsradio.com. Always like to hear your feedback. And uh, we'll see you here next time. Introducing Lost Arts Radio on subscribestar.com. Just go to subscribestar.com slash lostartsradio to find our rewards program, offering 10 different giving levels starting at just 5 bucks a month. We offer incredible value for any rewards level, from extra monthly interview videos not available publicly to subscription-based Planetary Healing Club videos once, twice, or three times a month, to private counseling sessions with Lost Arts Radio host Richard Sachs, to tech help with me, Doug Diamond. We even have one option where you can be the star on Lost Arts Radio as our guest on a specially produced show just for you. We conduct an interview with you and broadcast it to our growing network and listenership. Our subscribe star levels are one of a kind and offer great rewards for any budget. Please help support Lost Arts Radio. We can't do it without you. With increasing censorship on many of our channels, we really need your support today to keep doing what we're doing. As Richard says, we're not even at survival level yet. Lost Arts Radio has three weekly shows. Lost Arts Radio Live each Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, which is a live stream currently on multiple platforms in case we get banned from some of the larger ones. Right now, we're on two YouTube channels, Facebook Live, Periscope, which is Twitter, Twitch, and DLive. You can access these broadcasts by going to www.lostartsradio.com slash live for all the links to those channels. The Planetary Healing Club meets right after Lost Arts Radio Live 
at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Saturday nights. And our Sunday show with guests airs at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Sunday nights on our Blog Talk Radio channel, our YouTube channels, Facebook pages, and on Brideon. Be sure to sign up for our free email list just in case we do get banned on big tech's platforms. It's just a matter of time, really. They don't like the stuff we talk about, and they do not want the truth out there. In fact, they have already attacked us numerous times. Join our free email list so we can let you know where we are and how to access our shows. The sign-up button is right on the top right on most pages of our website. The best starting point for all things Lost Arts Radio is our main site, lostartsradio.com, where you can find the hottest news selection videos that we curate just for you. Those are on the homepage and added to daily, as well as articles and breaking news about information you really need to know. Our show archives, the 10 most recent shows, are right on our homepage, as well as our Blog Talk Radio page at blogtalkradio.com slash lostartsradio, or just click the All Things Radio Show tab right on our website. We're in the podcast directory on iTunes, and all of our shows except the band ones are on our YouTube channels at Lost Arts Radio and at Diamond Disc. Our Brideon page is really taking off, and we often have editors' picks videos right on their homepage. Visit Brideon.com slash channel slash Lost Arts Radio. On our site, you can also access our free listener forum as well as sign up for the Planetary Healing Club, which is just $25 a month where you get private access to a one-on-one interaction with host Richard Sachs and myself and the other club members who participate live. More info can be found at planetaryhealingclub.com. We're providing solutions in there to make the world a better place. Come join us. Stay tuned because up next, you'll get to hear a really great song by an independent artist that we're doing our best to support. Go to lostartsradio.com slash music for the full list of all the great songs and bands that we spin on our audio-only podcast shows. If you're in a band and want to submit a song for consideration for airplay on Lost Arts Radio, visit my website at diamonddiscaudio.com for more information about the music placement, mastering, and mixing work that I do. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Lost Arts Radio. We love having you as part of our family to learn, experience, and grow with. Space, it's all over the place, got control of the human race Big brother, he's watching you With the click of the mouse, he's in your house He's in your phone, right there with you Wherever you go
get a go.